Isn't she cute? I mean, she was cute before she got pregnant, but she's even more cute now. So. And how can you turn her down? I mean, if you need help, she, or she's just going to do this if you don't want to help. Oh, oh, and then you'll feel bad. And you'll... That's what she does with me. So, yes, as Jenny mentioned, we have several pastors in this church. And I think sometimes, I mean, we all love Pastor Jim. Amen? We do. We miss him. They have COVID throughout the house, and so they just need to stay home and take care of themselves. But sometimes people go, oh, it's, a, it's the fill-in pastors that step up, you know? The substitute, you know? No, but don't think that way. We're all, we all have been given a gift of teaching, and each one of us has a different gift. Um, and a different way that we present ourselves, and I think that that's important to hear from. So don't, don't ever think that somehow you're getting something less. We all do. Um, John and I love when, when him and I are teaching, we get to study together, study God's Word, and we get to talk about it, and uh, there's things we don't even preach that we talk about that are just uh, uh, interesting facts about the things that we deal with. Well, we've been in the book of Mark, and we're going to continue in the book of Mark, so open up your Bibles there. We're in chapter 8. Pastor Jim got through 7 last week, uh, and we're going to pick up where he left off. And we're only going to cover about the first 21 verses today uh, because I believe that there's a great message uh, for us in that first 21 verses. Um, now, I'd like to give a little bit of a background for those of you maybe who haven't been here or for those online. We have a great online audience, so some of our videos are seen well after um, we've preached the sermon, and so it goes out to people. Uh, so it's good to have a good understanding, even though we may have been sitting here through the whole thing. Uh, this book was written by John Mark, and uh, his mother, he was the son of Ju Mary of Jerusalem, who owned a house in which the Christians would often gather at. And there is some speculation that possibly the upper room that we hear about would have been in her house, but it can't, there's no definitive evidence of that, but it could have been in that place. So he was around all of these believers on a regular basis as he grew up. Um, Mark had a good relationship with Peter, the Apostle Peter, and he was an eyewitness to everything that happened with Christ as he traveled with Christ. Now, Mark was a very young man when Jesus was crucified, so a lot of the things that happened, he may have been there. The last time I taught, I, I shared with you that he may have been in the crowds that gathered if he was in the area. I mean, people were coming from everywhere across the, the whole countryside to come and hear about this Jesus, so it's very possible he was there but not like an apostle would have been at the front and being with things, but he could have been in the crowd and hearing Jesus talk. He was, like I said, he was probably about 12 years old when Jesus was crucified. But he had this close relationship with Peter, and that's where this book comes from. It comes from Peter telling him about what happened and Mark putting these things down. And Mark's a very short gospel. It is, um, it's only 16 uh, chapters compared to like 28 in Matthew, um, uh, 24 in Luke, and 21 in John. And you can read it. I think I told you this before. You could sit down and read this in about an hour and a half, depending on how fast you can read. And I encourage you to do so. I think it's a great book for people who are new in the faith to understand God's Word. It may not go into the details that Mark and Luke may go into, but it does give a nice overview, and it's a different perspective. It's a more, I feel like it's a more personal perspective, even though Mark wasn't there. Talks, he often talks about the way Jesus looked at the disciples, how he was angry, how he walked ahead. And again, I, it all came from the way Peter sat down and, 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 and regurgitated this to him and told him 
about who Jesus was. It's very condensed. This is actually uh, one on New Missions Field. Mark is often one of the first books translated into a new language. Interesting to hear. So if you haven't read it, if you've fallen behind, if you've only been here for part of it, I want to encourage you to just take some time sometimes, sit down and read through it. It's fast, it's energetic, it's concise. He emphasizes the deeds and the works and the actions of Jesus much more than the words of Jesus. The theme of the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Amen? So we pick up the narrative now in the storyline that we read. And by the way, if you're new to Calvary Chapel, if you're watching online, we are very much about teaching verse by verse. So we go through the scriptures verse by verse and try and cover everything that we can. We believe that that's the way it was written. That's the way we should do. Every once in a while we'll break off into some topical things if God leads in that way. But for the most part we teach verse by verse on Sundays and on Wednesdays. So come out for that. It's a great way to learn God's word. So as we pick up Mark chapter 8 in the beginning, we've already seen Jesus perform so far in the book about eight or nine miracles that have taken place uh, in the presence of these 12 disciples. They've already seen these things happen, seeing Jesus heal people, seeing him walk on the water and all of the things. And one that really is going to stick out as we read today is one that John Mark, pastor, our pastor John Mark, not the John Mark, we have a John Mark. I call him apostle every once in a while. He says stuff like that. He uh, taught on a few weeks ago, and that was the feeding of the 5,000. Um, and Jesus saw the people there that had gathered as a sheep without a shepherd, and he had compassion on them, and he instructed the disciples to give them something. I think it would be wise as we're going to read a similar story, and we're going to talk about the disciples. Let's flip back to chapter 6 real quick, and let's read that just that section of when he fed the 5,000 again, starting in uh, chapter 6, verse uh, 35. By this time, it was late in the day, so the disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he, Jesus, answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are, Are we to go and spend that much on bread and to give them to eat? Jesus said, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And then they found out, they said, five Uh, five loaves and two fish. And then Jesus directed them to have all of the people to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups uh, of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. So then he gave this to the disciples and to set before the people. And he also divided the two fish among them. They all ate, all were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men that had eaten was about 5,000. Now, ironically, this, and I don't know if Pastor John Mark mentions this, it says the amount of men was 5,000. So that did not count for the women and the children. So some speculate that there could have been upwards of 15,000 people there. Can you imagine the, what the, I mean, just really? I only got like a piece of bread, you know? And they start walking and start feeding. They got to be active. Not only were there, before we're about ready to read what we're about ready to read, they have been, they weren't, they weren't just shown a miracle, they were active in that miracle. They got to pass that out. And then to, to pick up all of those pieces and go, how is this possible? 
it must have shook them to their core. But we pick it up now um, in uh, verse 1 of chapter 8. And it says, During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They, are already, they have already been with me for three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry, they'll collapse on the way because uh, some of them have come a long way. Uh, Pastor Chuck Smith is the founder of, of Calvary Chapel. He started them. We have a movie coming out. Did you know that? I'm really excited to see that. It comes from Greg Laurie's perspective. He was there as a young man, so I'm really excited to see that. And you guys should be prepared because you've been a part of Calvary Chapel, and we may see some people coming here just to see what it's like today, to see what the kind of church is. And I'm excited by that. But Chuck, Chuck had a unique perspective on this as he read this and was thinking about Jesus and the heart of Jesus. He said, it's interesting at the beginning of Christ's ministry when Satan was tempting him, he said to him, because he was hungry after the 40 days, the 40 day fast, why don't you take these stones and make them into bread? But Jesus would not use his miraculous power in order to take care of his own physical need. But when it came to the physical needs of others, he was willing to use that miraculous power never to satisfy his own flesh or his own need, but he was willing to use it to satisfy the needs of others. Amen. What a great God that we serve, isn't he? He takes care of us. Now, some say that this is the retelling. There's some that will say that this is the retelling of the same story because these two incidents only show up in the book of Mark. But as you'll see as we read a little bit further in this, as we get further, uh, further on, he's going to clarify that there were two different instances. Um, now, the first one thing that we can see is, uh, we also see that's two different, is because the first miraculous feeding of the 5,000 took place place in a, a region that was primary a, a Jewish region. And now we see this mass feeding take pl- place in a, in a Gentile re- uh, region. So once again, we see Jesus explaining and showing by action, I didn't just come for the Jews, I came for the Gentiles as well. God loves every person. Let me say it again, God loves every person, regardless of their sin or their condition. And I think that's important for us to understand because I think today we divide out some groups that we think God doesn't love. Doesn't love their actions. Didn't love my actions when I was early on uh, before I came to him. But regardless of their background, their religious leanings, their lifestyle, he wants all to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And God mirrors it right here. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-4, through 4, it says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, presidents too, that we may live peaceful, quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and it pleases our Lord who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Jew or Gentile, law-abiding or criminal, those who love him or those who fight against him, the murderer, the pedophile, those who live alternate lifestyles and sexualities. We're seeing a lot of that today, and it's easy to look and go, wow, man, they're just going to be condemned, or they're going to be condemned. That's not the focus we're supposed to have. 
uh, as I make my way through the world, as I make my way and come into contact with these people, what am I supposed to be showing? The love. And we don't. You know, I've said a long time ago that I think that when it comes to the homosexual community throughout the, just in Colorado Springs, I'm just going to speak, I think we've, I think the church, we've had, we've got like five to seven hundred churches in Colorado Springs. I think we've failed them a little bit because we, we section them off and say no, instead of showing the love of Jesus. I don't have to accept, I don't have to accept anybody's sin or actions to show love and to show them that there is a God who loves them. And has, has a message for them. These 5,000 people, these 4,000 people, the 15,000 people, you think they were just all believers coming together for a great revival service? They were coming because there was something there that drew them. There was a message that they were hearing about. It was spreading across the, the countryside. That We didn't have the internet. It was word of mouth that was passing and people were traveling miles and miles and miles to come and hear this man speak. There was something different. He is the same God today. And we represent him. We are ambassadors for Christ. And how we set that out there, the, the, uh, the, the, what we spread as the message is what's going to either drive somebody away or bring somebody in. So I think we need to change. We need to take a little uh, uh, assessment. Everybody needs a Savior. And he loves them all. If I didn't accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, he would have loved me all the way through. And that's the, what the world needs to understand. They need to feel like we want to change the sin. We want to see them. You need to, you know, you need to get, you need to stop doing this and then, and then come to Jesus. I've heard stories of, of people who have fortunately made their way back to Jesus but came to an altar in a church somewhere and gave their life to Christ and the people confronted them about their sin and you need to stop all of that right now. Instead of letting God work, and then they walked out the door and didn't come back. And so we got we to change that up, folks. We are in the last days, amen? We, I, I tr we truly believe it. It, it could happen uh, easily in our lifetime that we see Jesus return, and we need to have the same attitude as him. We need to get back to that place. That's why we study the scriptures. So he was in another area ministering to an entirely different people. And then in verse 4, he says, his disciples answered him about this giving of food, but where in, in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? Now, I don't know the exact time frame, and John and I tried to figure it out. Between the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on the water and all that to this miracle here. I, I, but I can't believe it's that long. And these 12 men, hand-picked by God to walk with the Messiah, getting to see him perform miracles, have totally forgotten everything that took place. I mean, they did, because they could have looked back and went, hey, you know what? This is, this is that same thing. He's going to do it again. Or even some complaining. Oh, great. we got to pass out food to everybody. I mean, something, some kind of hope that they knew he could do it again. And like I said, there'd already been like eight or nine miracles that they'd been physically present. And I think this is important because sometimes we get that attitude that, well, I'm just a human being. I'm here. I can't physically see Jesus. I mean, I can, I have his Holy Spirit. I can see his works, but I can't see him. But if I had walked with him, oh my gosh, it would be a different story. Wrong. Because I don't really think that at this point they truly understood who he was. We have a little bit of a, uh, we have a little bit of 
a, a benefit because we know the whole story. We know the end. Uh, but they didn't quite totally get this, but they'd seen him do it. Five loaves, 15,000 people, can, they were actively involved in pulling out of that basket more food, more food. They had to be going, how is this happening? And here's 4,000, we got a theft. Well, again, again, 4,000 men. We have less. Hmm. But we're talking about almost the exact same situation again in their presence. And again, they have forgotten. And they walked this whole way with Jesus. They, 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 how, how could they forget that Jesus took that five little loaves and turned it into all of that for good food? And then food to feed themselves, because you remember the story before, they were more important about their own stomachs. They were hungry. And here they walk away, 12, each one of them had a basket full of food to eat. He took care of them as well. Do you ever find yourself forgetting what God has done before? When you face a new trial, I mean, let's be honest. We all want to be, oh, yes, no, I trust God 100%. Then something big happens and we just forget what He did. I do. I do. I've forgotten. But it's gotten better as I've matured in my faith, as I've walked, and as I've seen those things happen. In fact, it's been a prayer of mine that I want that time to get shorter. I don't want there to be a long time. I remember uh, early on when Kelly and I went into ministry, you know, when, you, when, you, when God calls you into something a little bit more specialized, I'm no different than anybody else. This is just what God called me into. There was a lot of things we had to change, and we did not have a lot of money, and the car would be act. I remember one time we, I was working at a convenience store, and I think she was... I don't know what you were doing. If she was either home or she worked for a little uh, uh, accounting office, and, and the car was breaking down, and I was melting down. I didn't know what we were going to do. The church we served at didn't have a lot of money. I couldn't go to them. I had already emptied my sister's pockets of about all the cash. By the way, my sister's sitting right back there. Wave, Robin. Say hi. See, I told you I'd call you out. Yeah, yeah. They'd helped us. There was, I don't, what are we going to do? You know, you go through that whole thing. I've told you before, maybe I could sell a kidney. You know, maybe I could do this, maybe I could do that, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I found during those times that God will let me go until I've exhausted myself. And then I hear that voice say, are you done? I have an answer. I have an answer. Do you know that? He always has an answer. It's not always what we think that it is. I encourage, I've told you before that I do a lot of the counseling here at the church, and, and I love it. And the one thing that I, if you've sat in there, you're going to remember this. The one thing that I offer up is I'll give you $1,000 if you can find anywhere in Scripture where God is caught off guard. Where he's like, and then God said, how did that happen? I mean, you, don't, you can't find that. It doesn't exist. He knew it was going to happen. He knew that you would find yourself in this spot. And he has an answer. Are we willing to remember and to trust him enough to say, God, I'll wait upon you for you to show me the answer that you have for me? I mean, do you, do you, do you like to look back? I do. I mean, some people say, no, once you get saved, never look back. I mean, I think you shouldn't look back and go, man, I wish I could party like that. I mean, don't, but, but to look back and to see what God has done over the length of your life, do you ever do that? You need to. 
especially when you're facing a trial, to be able to look back and remember how many times he came through. Not the way you thought. You know, we all pray for the check in the mail. Never comes. What about before you were saved? Can you look back that far and see how many times God had his hand on you, his hand of protection on you? I'm thankful, and I told you I was going to call her, I told her I was going to call her out today, but I'm thankful there's one reason that I'm standing before you today, and that's my sister, because she prayed for me even during the time when I was not walking with him. So I'm gonna tell, I want to encourage you, don't stop praying for those who are not saved. I believe truly that God's protection was over me. There was, there was a time when I should have drowned in the presence of a bunch of friends. There was a time in the midst of stupidity that I've shared that story with before, before that I was completely intoxicated and slammed my car into the, a bridge uh, guardrail. I should have died. I should have went through the windshield. I didn't. God had his hand on me. And I can look back at those times and go, that was stupid, but how did I make it through that? God. God had his hand on me. God was protecting me. God was watching over me. So if he'll do it then, even when I didn't even walk with him, can he do it now? Yes. Amen. Scripture tells us in Hebrews uh, chapter 13, verse 5, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. In Proverbs 3, it says, For God, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not into your own understanding. In all of your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Where's your level of trust with God today? I have a feeling this came about, and you're here this morning because there is somebody, some of us, maybe many of us, maybe somebody online, that there's a situation right now and you're fretting, you're stirring, you're not, what are we going to do? I don't know how I'm going to handle this. You're, you're, ang- you're anxious, you're, you're stressed out. The Bible tells us not to be anxious because God knows that we're going to be anxious and you're in that spot right now. Are you facing some hurdles right now? Or maybe you're about ready to. So listen closely to what God is showing us today. But again, look back. Look back. See how many times... He has taken care of you. He's watched over you, that he's answered prayers. I remember, you know, just I was, as I was kind of going through that process and thinking about how, you know, sometimes we just have to just walk in faith. We don't know what's going to happen. And, and that's where I want to be. That's where I want to I hit a situation and go, okay, I don't know what's going to happen. But I do know that God has me. And I'm much closer to that now than I ever have been in my life as I've matured in my faith, as I've spent time in that relationship with him, as I've studied his word, as I've seen before where God has worked in the, in the lives of men and women throughout Scripture. I'm in that place much more now. But I want to be that all the time. I remember one time, a little story here, I, uh, we were... Many years ago, before I worked here at the church, I was, worked for a painting company, and we were up in Monument uh, working on a house, and I got a phone call that my mother had had a stroke, and uh, she was bad. She was in the hospital, and uh, we didn't have a lot of money here. I mean, again, not, not making a ton of money, just living paycheck to paycheck, and Kelly called me, and I said, we, we have to go. We got to go. That's, that's a 12-hour drive uh, back to Iowa, Des Moines, Iowa, and uh, uh, we, we just... I don't know. I don't know how this is going to happen. We, I didn't even have, I don't think we had a charge card at that time. So I don't know even how this was going to happen. But we just knew that God wanted us to go and God was going to take care of us. Just had that feeling, that overwhelming feeling, God has got this under control. So we, I headed back home 
And we started to pack up our car that I wondered if it would make it there and back kind of a thing, you know. We've all been in those situations probably. And while we're packing the car, behind us pulls up this beat-up old suburban of a couple named Chris and Kyle Schroelin. Any of you know who Chris and Kyle are? And Chris and Kyle had, how many, seven kids? She's showing me, seven kids. Seven kids. And they, you know, only one of them worked, and everything was tight with them. Kyle and I were good friends, but everything was tight with them. And they pulled up, and I thought, oh, they're just going to come pray with us. And Kyle got out, and he walked up to me, and he handed me an envelope and said, here, take this. I go, whoa, 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 what's, what's this? He goes, you take it. This is, this is what God told us to do. And I'm like, no, you, you can't. He goes, I can't not. This is what God told us to do. And it was enough money to get us there, take care of things, and get us back. I could have, I could have stressed about that. I could have fretted. And I'm thankful that, 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 that God told Kyle to do that. I want to encourage you in that. If God tells you to do something... He told these men to do something that looked, you know, God tells us, hey, give this amount of money to this person. Kyle could have been like, whoa, wait a minute. I mean, we have a house payment. I got a car. The car's this. I got to feed the kid. I don't know how that's going to happen. How are we going to feed these people? I don't understand. I mean, before it was, we don't have enough money to go feed these people, get all this food. How are we going to do it? This time they're like, I I just don't know how that's going to happen. But God made it happen. You know, you, you ever wonder, you ever wonder when you listen, I, as we read through Scripture, and again, God was fully, or Christ was fully uh, God, but fully man. Do you ever just wonder if he was just like, oh, good grief. God, the men you gave me, are you sure I picked the right 12? I mean, he had to. Didn't say that, but I'm sure off the side he was having, Lord, please give me patience, you know. God's like, I gave you patience. I gave you these 12 guys that are going to help you grow in patience. So it comes to verse 5. He says, how many loaves do you have? And Jesus asked, and they said, seven. And they replied, he told the crowd to sit down on the ground, and when he had taken the loaves and given thanks, he broke them, and he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. Uh, they had a few small fish as well, and he gave, them, uh, gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. And the people ate, were satisfied, and afterwards the disciples picked up seven baskets of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present, um, and he had sent them away. After he had sent them away, he got into the boat and, with his uh, disciples and headed over to Galimathean. It would seem... This time that Jesus is not asking them to go find some food, but for them to use their own. I just think it's going to look comical because these guys can't not stop thinking about food. They're constantly, are we going to be able to eat? Come on, Jesus. You know, send the people away. We want to go eat. We want to go rest. And it would seem a little bit like, I mean, I couldn't really find any definitive on this, but they, maybe they held the fish back. Like, hey, don't tell them about the fish. He can do the thing with the loaves, but we want to make sure that there's something left over. It didn't, can you see him doing that? But don't we do that? You know, sometimes we're like, okay, I'll give you this. But do, he knows ahead of time. He already knew what they had. And again, we see Jesus meet the need, feed the people to take care. Who've been there for three days? Three days just hanging out to hear every word of God. Do you know that can happen again? My sister's been talking to me all about is it Asbury? 
Have you guys heard the, about the Asbury Revival that's going on at Asbury University? I think it's in Tennessee. Uh, how, many, how many days have they been going now? Four or five days, nonstop, there is a revival going on at Asbury College. People are staying there. People are getting saved. There's, check it out. When you get out of here today, look online about it, and you will see it. You can see videos of it. And so it can happen again today. We pray for a revival, don't we? I can't make revival happen. Revival happens when we all become before the throne of God and we trust in him, we read his word, and we pour ourselves out and we put ourselves on our knees. But check it out. You'll be amazed. My sister's been reading stuff for me, uh, uh, to me from online about what's been going on there, and it's really amazing. Because God will let you, you know, God, these disciples and the choices that they're made, God will let you make your own choices. He'll let you try and figure things out. I mean, he could have just stepped back from those guys and said, because he'd already given them, he'd already prayed over them and given them the power to do the things that he was doing and to be able to preach and teach like he was doing. So couldn't they, in their own faith and their strength, say, God's got this, let's pray over this bad boy and get this stuff read out? They could have done that, but they didn't. He could have just let them sit out there and flounder. He loves us enough to give us, give, a, give us a choice. But he really desires for us to trust him, to seek him in everything, and to trust him. Trust that he has, he's the same now as he was then. Trust that he's taken care of us before and he'll take care of us again. Trust in his word. He's proven himself long ago. So we see them out there. They've passed the food on. Now they've, they've headed out to another region. And in verse 11, we see the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given. Now, for those of you who are new to the Word of God, and there are some here, uh, Pharisees were uh, members of an ancient Jewish sect. They, di they, they were distinguished by strict observance to traditions, not necessarily traditions of God's Word, but traditions and by written law. They thought them themselves to be superior to all other leaders, all, all, all others. They were very self-righteous, they were hypocrites, and they were constantly fighting against what Jesus was trying to do. They were not bringing the truth. So in the mind of the, the Pharisees that he's talking about here, uh, this was not a request for another miracle because there had been miracles going on. They had, they'd seen these things happen, all of the things they're doing, the healings, the feedings. They, they were probably there and present and standing off, the back, off to the side, judging and saying, ah, you know, this is how it happened. It's all smoke and mirrors, you know, coming up with some excuse of how this happened. They didn't want another miracle from Jesus. They wanted him to call down a miracle from God from heaven, something big, something over the top, something like we see from Elijah and the fire when in, King, in 1 Kings. I was brought back to this 1 Kings. Have you read of that, that miracle of Elijah and the prophets of Baal? You want to see God do something that's so incredible? I love that story. If you're new to the faith or if you have not read that story before, 1 Kings, um, it, it really kind of starts at the first half of, of chapter 18, but read through that. Because what we see, here's my abbreviated version of that. We see uh, Elijah and the prophets of Baal, and they're arguing about whose God's what and what their God is. And so he says, okay, let's do this. We're going to get two bulls. You guys get to pick which bull you want. So 
two identical bulls, and you take your bull and you chop it up and you put it on your altar and you pray to your God and let's just see what happens. So he does and the whole process takes place and they pray and they cut themselves and beat themselves up. Nothing happens. And then Elijah says, okay, our turn. And he gets his altar and he has the people build this up with these 12 stones and he has them uh, put the, 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 on there and they surround, they dig a moat around the outside of the altar and they fill it with water and they drench and they drench and they drench this altar so that it's just, there's no way any fire could happen. And he prays to his God, our God, and God sends down a fire that not only consumes the offering but consumes the stones and all of the water and everything. That's the God we serve. They wanted something like that. It was not a friendly encounter. And truly the word tested here, or test, is translated tempted. So the Pharisees tempted Jesus to perform a miraculous sign just as Jesus had tempted him to do so in the wilderness. This demand for a special sign was, uh, was, was an example of their arrogance and their pride especially towards Jesus. Essentially what they were saying was, yeah, you've done a lot of small miracles, but come on, come up to the big leagues. We want to see you show, show something really amazing. Do you think miracles today would change the hearts of the people in the world that do not believe? I really don't. We live in a world today where everybody has an excuse for something that happened. I think that God could do something miraculous, a miracle as according to what we see in Scripture. I don't think they believe because I don't really think that's the purpose for the miracle. That's, that's not why God does miracles. Jesus does miracles to show the power of God in the context of mercy. And so I don't, I don't believe that would happen today. The world is too much naysayers. They would not believe what's is what, what, what would take place. But I still, does God still do miracles? Oh my gosh, yes he does. God does amazing miracles. And if we're focused enough on him, we'll see him. We'll give him credit for it. Pray about everything. Give God credit for everything. Even the little things. Amen? Yesterday we went down to the Loop in Manitou Springs, one of my favorite restaurants. Manitou Springs was packed. If you've been down there, it was tourist season almost. It was, there, were, there were thousands of people down there, all of the parking lots. People lined up for get parking spots. And I say, you know what we do when we come down here? We just pray and God opens up a spot. And we prayed and like three cars up, spot. I could just say, oh, that was cool. That was a good chance. I'm glad that happened. No, God did that. I give him credit for all, even the little things. If I give him credit for the little things, it's easier to see the big things that God does in our lives. So then in verse 13, it says he left them, then he left them, got back in the boat, and crossed back over to the other side. And the disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. It made me laugh a little bit. These guys that are so focused on food all the time had seven baskets full of food, and only one of them grabbed a loaf. <laughs> knuckleheads. That's all I could think as I read through this. Bunch of knuckleheads, come on. And then in verse 15, he says, be careful. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. A better translation here for yeast would be leaven. Because the leaven was not just yeast. So 
it would be like taking a pinch of dough from a batch that you have created and it's gone through the process, taking that and moving it on to the next. How many people have made sourdough bread? Kind of like that. So taking that lump, that lump from that, uh, the loaf that's already in process and allowing that to spread through, the, the yeast and everything to spread through uh, the loaf itself so that it would puff up as they wanted it to. And we often see in Scripture that yeast leaven is an illustration of sin and pride because just a little bit, if we allow it in, will spread through if we don't stop it. Just a little bit. You know, that, what's that song that talks about a slow fade? It's not something. Satan doesn't take us down like that. He lets us l- listen to something, put something active in our lives, let our guard down, and then it just there's that slow f- fade that works through us to overcome us. Presence of a little can corrupt a large amount. Sometimes the Jews would use the word leaven much as they would use the term original sin or the natural evil of the human nature. And Jesus said, beware of the evil way that the Pharisees and and Herod think about the kingdom of the Messiah, about what I'm doing here. Don't listen. Do not entertain their lies. Don't even even just let it go. Get away from them. Don't uh, Don't listen to those things. And as I was thinking about that today, I was like, my goodness, we have that in our lives right now. We have a system uh, that feeds into our brain. We're all guilty of this. In fact, we were laughing because at my house, we're all sitting around talking. We're, we're Dodsons, and Dodsons can do like about 100 things at a time when it comes into talking, and we can communicate and stuff. And, but we're all sitting around having a conversation, but we're all in our phones down here looking at the news. My sister was only looking at godly stuff. This, this and the news we listen to, there is the Pharisees and Herod, they're there. They are trying to get us to believe something that is not true. You see articles that come out that fight against God's word. We see things on a regular basis, Christianity under attack all the time. We got to be careful, folks. Jesus is saying to us, don't let that feed into you. Don't listen to what they're saying. Where your truth comes from is my word the leading of my Holy Spirit, but do not entertain any of those things. I had a good friend, be careful about this, used to attend a small group that I led, and he loved the Lord and would talk about how good God is and, and always challenge the church should do better. But he loved to read, read books, all kinds of other books that were kind of about God, but not. You, you, you've, you've seen, you may have read one of those books and went, what was this? You know, I, other ideas. Several years ago, he showed up here at this church with boxes. He contacted me ahead of time and said, I'd like to make a donation of some books that are very much Calvary Chapel. And he brought the books in, and Kelly and I were here receiving the books, and we're having conversation with him, and and he said, you're probably wondering why I'm getting rid of all these books. Yeah. I mean, why would you, are you getting, just toning the library down or something? He said, no, I am, I'm no longer a Christian. I'm a secular humanist or something. He had listened to lies that had led him away from God. He read himself 
away from God's word. Be careful about what you read and what you listen to. We have a Bible before us that it should be in checks and balances with. If it is not, rip it in half. Don't even give it to the used bookstore and throw it away. Don't finish it. Don't listen to that garbage. And some of you are feeling guilty right now because I know I've had conversations with some and they tell me about these books they're reading and I'm kind of, I'm not a big heavy reader on, on other than God's word. And, and, but John and I will talk about it and go, I'm not so sure about that. Don't listen to them. Be careful. Watch out for this yeast of lies that come from the darkness. Then in verse 16 it says, They, the disciples, discussed this with one another, this idea of watch out for the yeast. It's because we have no bread. You did the same thing that John and I did when we were studying. What? Aware of their discussion, because Jesus must be standing off to the side, and they're like, oh, dude, it's because we forgot the rest of the bread. That's why he's upset. Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for 5,000, how many baskets of pieces did you pick up? Twelve. Then they replied, and, then, and when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basket pieces did you pick up? Seven. When Jesus spoke of the leaven of the Pharisees, the disciples just were not focused on spiritual things. Again, I don't think they got it till closer to the end of his life. All they could think about was this bread that goes to the stomach, not this bread that goes for the soul. He, and he confronts their lack of understanding because they really should have at this point already understood what he was talking about. They could have done better. We could do better. Sometimes we base on... Uh, they should have based their understanding on what they had already seen from Jesus. Just as I was talking about a minute ago. Our understanding should be based on, well, the original of what Jesus did. As we read these stories, what did he do before? How did he handle things before? That's where we should be looking towards. And again, I, I, this is, I, I, I probably think in a really weird way, but again, I wish we could have a recording of that. I mean, just can you imagine him going, oh, good grief, I mean... How stupid are you guys? Come here. I mean, what, what are, do you not get what I'm trying to say? Frustration, concern, anger for not remembering what he'd done, for not trusting that he could do it all over again, for not trusting in the power of God that flowed through him. But that's us in a nutshell. Amen? We struggle to remember what God has done before when situations arise. And I don't know, maybe, some, like I said, maybe somebody in here is already facing that. Maybe you're about ready to face that. It's important for us to grow and understand God's Word. That's why we teach it verse by verse. That's why we go through that. I encourage you to go back and read this. But where are you at today? Uh, serious, because in a minute here, we're just going to close. I think the band's going to come back up again. They did great today. We don't have Adrian today. And the band did an awesome job, didn't they? And when we talk about volunteers and people stepping up, 
It's because you come here and because you hear the word of God and you believe it and you're encouraged and you're built up by it, you say, this is my church, then join in. Look around, find things. There are people that they're willing to just jump in and do what God has for them to do, and that's to lead the, lead the worship. But as they lead, come and lead the worship, we'll have some of our elders up here. That's a, that's a regular thing now. And if you're just struggling there, first of all, stop, stop, and look back. Even if you're just newly saved, look back at situations that happened in your life even before you were saved and go, he was there. He was there. Remember that one thing? He was there. Talk about it with your spouse, about remembering what God has done before because he can do it again. These are nothing for him. These things are nothing. The situation that you find yourself is really nothing. It's important to him, but it's nothing. He can make the change. He can fix the situation. He can take care of it at the drop of a hat. He can take care of it instantly. But we have to have trust in him. We have to let him do that. He won't make us. We have to let him. Let's have a word of prayer. Father God, I want to thank you for your word and the challenge. I, even as I read through this, even as I'm sharing with these good people, Lord, there's times I had to look back and remember because I know when a situation arises now, I can easily find myself in that place of going, I, God, I don't even know how you're going to do this. How can we make this happen? I don't, I don't have the money for this. I don't have this. I don't know. I have no control over this. It's easy to go there, and I don't want to, and I don't want my brothers and sisters here to do that either. Help us, Father, to quickly... Even if there's just a hint of worry to take that to the foot of the cross. Help us to drop down on our knees and say, God, I do not have an answer for this, but I know that you do.